Welcome to Property Entrepreneurs Network interview with one and only Rick Gannon. He is a property investor and has a huge HMO portfolio, has been in the industry for over 20 to 23 years. Am I right, Rick? Hi, uh, yeah, well, thank you very much indeed, and thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. My journey started um, in property probably around about 2000, 1998, 2000, something like that, when we um, became accidental landlords. Me and my wife were working in um, Nottingham when I was working for a finance company, and I got promoted with that company. I uh, had to move back to my hometown of Worcestershire, and we couldn't sell our house because we bought it off plan. And when you buy a house off plan, for people that don't know, generally you pay a little bit over market value. And if you're paying over market value for a property um, that you're going to live in as your own home, then usually, you know, that's okay. Um, but of course, that wouldn't work as an investment property. But because we did buy it off plan, we only lived there for 12 months. And then I had to move back to Worcester. Unfortunately, when we put it on the market, it wasn't worth as much as um, we wanted. So therefore, we decided to rent it out and that's when we became accidental landlords overnight really it wasn't something we planned it's just something that um, that kind of happened for us um, and then we um, came back over to Worcester and we were landlords we had our property rented out with an agency and um, I started working um, in uh, lots of different industries and things that I was doing at the time and um, over the years I ended up working as a police officer now between the time of me moving back to Worcester and me going into the police we'd renovated some houses we bought some flips we'd started to buy small portfolios of single let properties and our portfolio was growing and it was something that we were just parking money in really we didn't really know what we're doing we hadn't really taken any education and um i started to work as a police officer so i was in the police for quite a long time i was in i was a an operational police officer for probably for about 13 years and i was a a temporary sergeant so that's like a it's, it's an acting sergeant role i was qualified as a sergeant but um I hadn't actually um, got the full sergeant's role. So I was acting for about three years as a sergeant. And um, one of my jobs as a sergeant in the police was to go to, well, it's quite a depressing subject really, but go to every sudden death, every time somebody died suddenly and uh, it wasn't expected, I would have to go and inspect the body to make sure there were no suspicious circumstances. Jeez. So... I'd done that several times and I remember this quite clearly. It was, it was in February. It's actually in my book. Um, and uh, I wrote about it in depth in there. And I went to a job, got called to a job where um, unfortunately a poor guy had died and he passed away on his couch. And I had to go there and inspect the body. And, and it was just a really, it was just one of those times when I thought there's got to be something else. There's got to be something more to this, um, you know, because life is short. So I did all what I had to do. And I went back home. And when I came home, um, I went to see my daughter, Charlotte, who was getting ready for school, because this was after a night shift. And Charlotte was all happy and she was getting ready for school. And I said, how are you? She said, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm all good. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy. And then I went in to see Ben, my son. And Ben was still in bed, actually. And I said, are you okay, Ben? Are you, did you sleep all right? And he said, no, not really, Dad. So I've been up all night worrying why I can't play football like my friends. Um, because Ben was born with brain damage. He was born with quadriplegic cerebral palsy, which means for Ben, he can't use his arms 
um, or legs. He can't use his legs at all. He can use his arms, but they are quite restricted. So that means that Ben's permanently in a wheelchair. And that for me was a huge sort of um, shovel in the face moment. It was a real poignant moment when I thought, well, this is real and I've got to do something about this. So me and Ben had a bit of a cuddle and it was quite emotional. And I promised him that we'd get something sorted for him. And I made a promise that we'd get, you know, for him to play football. Now I didn't know how at all because he can't use his legs, but I did make that promise. So I was feeling pretty down and I'd, I was already feeling down because I'd already had a really bad night at work. So I went to see my wife, Lorraine, and I said, look, you know, we've got to make some fundamental changes here. I'm away all of the time. I'm working shifts. I'm on response. I'm putting myself at risk all of the time. I'm not here for the kids. And now we've just had this conversation with Ben and we need to do something different. So I went off to bed and um, I didn't sleep very well and I got up at about I think probably 11 o'clock I didn't have much much sleep and Lorraine and I had a chat and we said right you know the only thing we're going to be able to do here is going to property full-time because that's the only thing that we know how to do and property had always been good um, for us we'd always made money from property we'd done flips and we had a very small portfolio of single lets we were experienced landlords so we decided to uh, go into property full time. And Lorraine said to me, why don't we do HMOs? And the minute she said that, I said, what, what are you crazy? HMOs, the last thing I wanted to do was HMOs because as a police officer, my experience of HMOs were literally obtaining warrants, knocking down doors and arresting people for prostitution and <laughs> drug dealing. So I yeah. said to Lorraine, why would I want to do that? I've got no, absolutely no aspiration at all of doing that. She said, well, look, let's just go and see what it's all about. Let's go and um, go to some networking meetings and, and let's just inquire. So I got dragged along, Jack, to a networking meeting. I got dragged along, kicking and screaming. And, um, you know, as a police officer, going to a networking meeting, you know, the two, two words shouldn't be in the same sentence. And then I was sat there, had my arms crossed. I was frowning and I was like, you know, don't look at me. Don't want to talk to anybody. And then all of a sudden, um, this guy started talking on the stage and he introduced me to another person in the room who was also a police officer. So I got talking to this other person who ironically worked at the same police station as me, but I never saw her because we were on complete opposite shifts. Uh, and she definitely. told me that she'd just replaced her income from HMOs. Now that was enough for me. I trusted cops. So um, I decided then at that point, then we, we started to pursue um, a career in HMOs full time. Uh, I took a career break from my job. So a career break in the police means that you can take time off. You're still a warranted officer. You don't get paid. And then you can go back, you know, within that time scale or you can extend it up to five years. So I took a career break for 18 months. So I knew that I didn't have, um, you know, if, any, if it didn't work for me and my business didn't go the way I wanted it to, I could always go back. Go back. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't, you know, cut those ties completely. And then within the first six months of me starting the HMO business from scratch and without any money, I managed to uh, probably double my police income in, in the first six months. And then the rest is history, so to speak. So that's kind of my story on, on how I got into HMO specifically. Uh, that's very, very interesting. You know, accidental landlord, I think we've all been through that stage. Most of the seasoned investors, I guess, that I've spoken with, including myself, 
um, uh, the first property I bought, I was never intentional of you know, being an investment property or anything. And then I ended up letting it out single let pretty much the same. You know, it, it is the way it is. Uh, that's very interesting. So, so t tell us some of the challenges you've faced in the 20 years that you've been in the HMO industry. So I've not been in the HMO industry for 20 years, Jack, just to make that clear. Yeah. Um, so I've been full time in HMOs for about eight years. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in property for about 20 years, 20 years. Um, but HMOs specifically about eight years. So in the, um, in the 20 years that we've been investing in property specifically, um, well, we've seen all sorts. We've seen foot and mouth disease yeah. that's, um, that's, that's taken our trade away from certain properties. We've been through the, um, the downside, you know, in 2007 and 2008, we were buying single lets then and we were flipping property then. So we've been through all of that. <clears throat> and of course, now we've got, um, you know, the very, um, the very current COVID-19, which is probably one of the, the hardest things that we've gone through in property since we started. Um, so over the eight years, we've seen the ups and the downs. We've seen massive legislation changes. Um, we've seen changes to government. We've seen changes to all of the, the properties and the amenities standards that we, um, that we can and we can't do for properties. Um, we've seen changes with um, policy. We've seen changes with, um, with the rents and the, the eviction processes. So pretty much everything over the last eight years, it's been up and down all the way through, but we're still here and we're still here at the moment to tell the tale. Uh, that's right. I guess uh, it builds resilience uh, with, with ups and downs, especially heavy ups and downs like COVID-19. Um, I think we're all uh, kind of suffering a little bit with that for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think the thing with COVID at the moment is nobody knows. Um, nobody could have planned for this. And, you know, you're in my Facebook group and, um, you know, I've got a, a very big Facebook group, very active. And I think one of the yes. most commonly asked questions at the moment is when can we start doing viewing so the problem that we're faced with yeah. if anyone's listening to this you know in a year's time yeah. um, and hopefully you know it will be just a, a distant memory but i think at the moment the the reality of everything we do is we have to follow the government guidelines yeah. um you know this this disease or you know this virus sorry um it's not discriminating it will pick anybody yeah. and i know that business is business now i'm looking at my board i'm here at home in my office at home i've got about 14 voids now now we've got a big portfolio right we've got about 150 hmo units i'm looking at 14 voids we didn't have those last month and um, they've only come over the last sort of three to four weeks and we're not going to be able to fill them because um, you know we, we've got to abide by the government guidelines now the guidelines are only guidelines it's not legislation yet but the guidelines are we should only be doing viewings and check-ins if we are contractually obliged yes. so that means that we've already signed contracts or they're for homeless people or key workers yes. so those are the guidelines we need to stick to those and i know a lot of people are starting to panic now because they've got properties maybe they've got one or two properties and they are reliant on those properties for their sole income and now of course they can't put tenants in there so they're really motivated and some people are still doing it so the thing that I'm I'm going to say is look um, I always put myself in the position of a tenant and if I'm at home now and I'm, I've got my family I'm here then all of a sudden a stranger comes in and we don't know anything about that stranger we don't know where they've come from we don't know whether they've had COVID-19 whether they've got it um, and all of a sudden they're going to be putting me and my family at risk well I wouldn't be very happy about that as I'm sure no, you wouldn't so. Jack and as yeah, I'm sure yeah. everybody else that's listening to the podcast wouldn't yeah. so yeah. 
we, we've got to wait until we can't really do anything until the government say, right, we're out of lockdown and then things start moving again. What I can say is that, you know, there are lots of government incentives out there. If they fit, then I'd encourage people to go and investigate them. We've got the business interruption loan. We've got the, uh, the furlough scheme for self-employed people and directors now that's come in for, um, you know, there are grants available for people that have got small business rate relief, you know, 10,000 pounds if they are exempt and up to 25,000 pounds if they've got business rates, um, you know, and they're paying small business rates, etc. So, you know, I think the government have done as much as they can and, and they've acted admirably in the, in the current circumstances. But going back to my original point is, you know, um, if we keep doing this and we keep you know, sort of going against the government guidelines and we're not doing anything to help ourselves, we're not doing anything to help our tenants that we've already got, and we're certainly not doing anything to try and eradicate this pandemic. I absolutely agree with you. I think guidelines are guidelines. It's, it's the same with, with, for example, in this situation, me as well. I was obliged to do a few things and I had to literally put my mask on and get, get, it, get them done. But uh, for, this is only for contractual purposes. Otherwise, we shouldn't be really going out or getting anything done. All I'm doing at the moment is sitting at home, making calls for people who are actually physically, you know, for example, key workers or anything that I can potentially help with. That's all I'm doing at this stage. Um, we, we have two sites going on at the moment. Uh, and, uh, and I spoke with the builder and the builder goes, I can send one man and, and that, that's all I can do. And one man is happy to work on the site. And so instead of having to you know, work five or six people on this site, now only, I've only got one man on each site working. Um, yeah. You know, so, Jack, it's really frustrating. We've got seven, um, seven refurb projects on at the moment. Yeah. We've got um, a, a property that we purchased as an old police station. We turned it into HMO. I remember uh, seeing, I saw to, that, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. that's ready to go, but, but it's mothballed now. We can't do anything with it. We've yeah. offered it to the council for key workers, but we haven't heard anything back. But the problem is we can't get furniture there. We can't get carpets there. No, we can't. Um, you know, so that's mothballed. We've had funding pulled on it. We're in for like half a million pound on that deal. And they've got bridging. Um, we can't can't get it back out right now because the lenders aren't lending we've also got a flip project that we're working on and we've got about four flat refurbishments that we're working on in order to refinance and all of those are now mothballs we can't do a damn thing but what we are doing is we are doing essential work so what we're having to do is we've got like yourself we've got our builder on call uh, we've got a gas engineer on call and we've got our um, electrician and plumber on call so if there's anything that is an emergency uh, they will go in they'll put their PPE on the tenants are instructed not to be in the communal areas they'll yes. do the job and they'll come out yeah. so yes we've still got to do the emergency maintenance i mean yeah. um <clears throat> Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've been we've had a flat that's been targeted several times for break-ins. Just had a call this morning when, in fact, it came through at midnight last night. Um, I only picked it up this morning to say that there were some people in the flat again. Um, you know, and, and it's a brand new refurbished flat. It keeps getting broken into. So we've had to send somebody out there this morning to investigate that. So, you know, certain things when it comes to um, the security of the property and the maintenance, we, we do have to adhere to. But everything else is just going to be mothballed. And the thing is, this isn't our fault. You know, no. there will be businesses that go, uh, go under from this. There are bound to be. I mean, Debenhams have just announced they've gone into liquidation. Yeah. There will be, you know, some of the bigger companies and smaller companies equally. But the, the one thing is that we've got our health. We can replace assets. We can't replace our life. And that's how we have to look at this. That's you know, true. Mentally, that's it's, about, absolutely true. it's about lives. Yeah. It is, it is. If we can, you know, if we can live, then we can build all these properties and assets back again. It's just the skills that really count, I guess.
It is. And the thing is, as well, it's not our fault. No, it's this our isn't fault. down to bad management. It's not no. down to bad business acumen. It's no. not down to, you know, individual business plans and strategy. It no. just is. And because it's not our fault, you know, that will take a certain amount of guilt away, you know, for the people that, that can't make this work moving forwards. But it's also a great time to reflect. It's a great time to pivot. And those people that you know, maybe we're thinking about pivoting anyway, or maybe adding another arm to their business, then this is the perfect time now to get that done and launch something else whilst we're in this lockdown phase. Absolutely agree. Uh, in fact, it, it is definitely a great trigger for anyone who is looking to pivot um, and really think more creatively about the strategies that they're working on. Um, absolutely agree with that. That's great. So, so tell us a bit more about how how did you build a portfolio of that caliber? Because I come across and I come across these you know lo lo loads of investors every day, and the first thing that say, they say to me is that how do you you know where do you get the money from to build a portfolio like that? That's something I come across all the time. Yeah. How, so how, how did you deal with that? Yes. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I mean, I wear my heart on my sleeve. You know, I tell everybody the good and the bad of property. You know, there are no unicorns, um, you know, as, as certainly from, <laughs> from my perspective, where I come from. So first of all, I want to just tell everybody that, you know, property is not passive. Um, it isn't. There are very few passive incomes. Property isn't one of them. Um, it's bloody hard work, um, but you will get rewarded if you do it well and if you stick to the rules and you keep your head above water and you are prepared to work hard. Mm -hmm. So how did we get so big? Um, just through hard work and determination. So, I mean, the first six months I'd had, I mean, I, my reason why was very strong. So you've got to have this reason why. Why are you doing something different than you were doing before? Otherwise, just stick to what you're doing. Um, and I didn't want to go back into the police. I wanted to um, look after my kids. I wanted for Ben to play football. And incidentally, um, you know, after the first 12 months, I founded the very first disability power chair football club for kids. So Ben got to play football. But that was only because I wasn't in the police and because I was working really hard in property in order to make that cash. Now, running a football club isn't cheap. And running a disabled football club it, uh, is is you know, really expensive because of the kit we have to buy. So I worked really, really hard. Um, <clears throat> in terms of money, um, we had no money to speak of. And, and our first deal was bought with um, my father-in-law. And he put all of the money down to put into our first deal. He just retired, had a pension pot. We put it into the first deal and we did really well. We got all of that money back out, which he then reinvested. And that was the, the catalyst really for us, Jack. That's how we carried on momentum investing, almost using the same pot of cash. So what we do, our strategy is um, we do do rent to rents, but we don't look for them. They come along sometimes. And if they come along and they are, literally no money down now i know that there were people out there saying oh no money down and it's rubbish it doesn't exist <laughs> it does exist yeah. um you can't buy a house with no money i understand that but yeah. you can control houses yeah. with none of your own money and we've got probably four hmos that have popped along over the years um that have cost us zero but yeah. they are on rent to rent so we make about a thousand pounds a month from each of the properties they didn't need anything spending on them. We used our own contracts that we had commissioned for ourselves within our business, and we just started trading them. So you can get those, um, but they're not to a penny. You've got to go out looking for them. But the That's properties true. that we've purchased, we've either used our own money from the money 
that we've rolled over from the start and the money that the business has generated. And then we bought at a good price, we've added value and we've managed to refinance that cash back out and we've used it again and again. Or we've used joint venture partners money and we've gone for the same concept. So the last joint, we only have two joint venture partners, by the way, the last joint venture partner um, that came on board we purchased the property for 1.1 million. Um, it was on the market for 1.3. We spent 250,000 on it to do it up. Um, it's a big block of flats. And then we refinanced all of that out now for about 1.8 million, I think, in total. So, um, you know, it cost us 1.1, spent 250 on it, and we got 1.8 back. So we made about half a million pound profit or thereabouts on that deal. And we've still got the whole property that we own within our business as shareholders. And that's the, that's the way we always look at deals. So unless we are very sure we can get our cash back out or, or 80% of it, we probably wouldn't do it. And that's how we've grown over the years. Now we're not massive by any means, you know, we've got a good portfolio. We've got about 50,000 pounds a month rent roll. Um, you know, it is, it is a decent amount of, uh, of property. Um, but you get to the point really when you don't really need to do any more how many more houses do we need? Well, we probably don't need that many. So then we got to the point maybe two or three years ago when we began to pivot. So we started to think, well, what else can we do um, you know, in terms of property? How else can we um, help other people? And we launched our product called GoTenant. And GoTenant is our property management platform. And that was something that I created about five years ago only to manage my own portfolio because we got to a point where we had about 50 tenants or something. I don't know. Um, it wasn't massive, but I wanted systems in place. So I started creating my own. Then over the years, that grew and grew. We started to train it to other investors. Then we got approached by an international software development company. And then we went into business with them. And then we created and coded over two years what is now known as GoTenant. Um, so that's you know another arm now that is absolutely perfect for this day and age when people want to work from home because GoTenant is the whole tenant onboarding system and property management platform um, that you can use um, from home from your mobile phone. So so that's our you know one of our main focuses now as well as doing a few other things. Um, obviously we do our online training as well. Um, but it gets to the point and people say to me you know when we have students that come to me and say well I want to invest in service accommodation I want to do um, commercial to con uh, residential conversions I want to do flips I want to do land banking I want to do HMOs and then whoa just just Hold slow on. down um, <laughs> yeah, you know if you chase after two rabbits you're going to lose both of them yeah. you need to concentrate on one thing get to be the best at that thing become the master of that thing and then you can start to pivot, but not until you've got to where you want to be on your initial strategy. So a bit of a long-winded answer there for you, Jack, but to answer your question, it was just hard work. Um, I didn't stop. I remember that I was making 100 phone calls every two days, and I was getting no, 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 no. And I got to the point where I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to be in the police again in 12 months' time. This mm -hmm. isn't working. But then all of a sudden, things started to happen. Um, the tenacity started to pay off and then things started to snowball. And then we were just dealing with like 17 leads at a time at one point I remember having, and it was just too much for us. It got to the point where we had to stop doing marketing campaigns, um, hard work. And it doesn't stop being hard work. You know, everyone that's listening, you can leverage, you can put your systems in place, but 
you know, I'm working from home right now and it's bloody hard work because we've got 150 plus tenants. I've got 10 members of staff. Um, you know, we're trying to coordinate all of this from a little office at home when we can't really go out to the property. You know, I had a, a report this morning of a property being broken into. Again, this is the second time in as, about two weeks. Um, so we've had to send people over there now to make sure that, you know, everything is okay and it's all safe because we've got people moving into that house on Friday. So this never stops. Even on lockdown, it still doesn't stop. I absolutely agree with you. Nothing replaces hard work. Um, I've, I've been in business for the past 25 years in different businesses and literally nothing ever replaces hard work. You do have to be creative. You have to work smart and all that, but you're absolutely right. Nothing ever replaces hard work. Yeah. Let me ask you one more question, Rick. Sure. What does what's what what is creativity for you? What create what creativity has what kind of part creativity has played in your journey? You've got to think outside the box with everything that you do. Now we talk about creativity and your your comfort zone almost in the same sentence. So we're human beings and we've got this fight or flight element built into us and, and that comes in with your comfort zone so when we were cavemen you know we were built into fight or flight we had to survive we didn't want to get eaten so if you moved outside of that comfort zone then we were almost drawn back into it naturally to make sure that we survived and that stays with us so when people are in their comfort zone you know you know what you can do you know what the boundaries are the minute you step out you feel uncomfortable and i would say that probably the 80 20 rule 80 percent of people will go back into that comfort zone that's not being creative being creative is doing something different something different than you're used to doing and looking for gaps in the market so there are lots of people now you see all over social media pivoting being creative and those are the people that will survive those are the people that are pivoting their business looking for new aspects that people need right now so COVID-19 is going to stop a lot of things um, the way that we are used to seeing them now people were doing a lot of courses let's talk about courses for a minute so you're putting, you know, I don't know, let's say between 100 and 1,000 people in a room. That has been the norm probably for the last five or six years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, that now is going to change. Now, even if the government restrictions come off next week, that's not going to start again overnight because people aren't going to be comfortable in that environment. No. So those people that were in those environments have started to pivot, started to move, put their products online. That's being creative. Going in and, and shaking up and being disrupt, uh, disruptive, changing the industry for what people know now and doing something different. Apple iPhone, who are we? Samsung. All of these market leaders are creators, they're product designers, and they're doing things completely differently. So if anybody's out there now and they're in their comfort zone and they're listening to this, that's fine. But don't forget the definition of madness is doing the same thing every day and expecting different results. That's not being creative. So if you're looking to pivot, you've got to think about doing something different and that's something that pushes you outside of your comfort zone. That sounds very interesting. Uh, so where do you see the property industry in the next five, 10 years? What, what would it look like at that point? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you know, the only sensible answer I can give right now is nobody knows because we don't know what we're going to do. I can give you my opinion here. Um, and this is based on information that I consume on a daily basis, uh, you know, from Savills and from um, the likes of the, the Financial Times and um, Right Move and Zoopla. So what we are thinking at the moment is um, what we know is that there are um, less than sorry, uh, more than 50 percent less transactions going ahead right now because nothing is going to happen whilst we're in the next three months or very little 
will happen. <clears throat> now, I don't think property is going to um, go down in price in the next three months. I think most people will sit on their asset until we can start seeing what the market starts to do. So I don't think anything's going to happen in three months. What I think is going to happen um, over the next six to 12 months is when we get out of lockdown, the market is going to start to move again. Viewings are going to start to take place. Investors are going to start buying again. And the whole thing will start to move, albeit a lot slower than it was before. Unemployment's going to go up. That's a given, um, which means that the jobs are going to be fewer, which means that maybe the rentals will be fewer over the next sort of three to six months. I think within six months, we're going to see a dip in property because then that's going to force investors out of the market that can no longer make their property work. They may already be suffering from clause 24 tax. Yeah. They may already be thinking about getting out of the market. Now this might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So yeah. this might be the, the catalyst. So yeah. I think what's going to happen, Jack, is within the next six months, we're going to see an influx of property. It's going to start happening in about three months' time. And I think then it's going to be a little bit of a feeding frenzy. The prices will come down. It's going to be a good time to buy. It's going to be a terrible time to sell. But I think then it's going to settle. Um, when the, the economy gets back on its feet, I think within the next 12 months, we should then start to see a correction. And I think property prices will start to get back to where they were or where they were before prior to COVID-19 and, of course, Brexit. So I think we are going to see a correction. There's no doubt. Unemployment is going to be bad. The economy is going to be on its back because of this. Taxes are going to be higher. Corporation tax is only ever going to go up because we yeah. need to put the money back in the coffers. So I think it's going to be an interesting time. But what I'm saying to people is now, right now, and what we're talking about right now, folks, people that are listening to this, we're on, is it all right if I say the date on here? Am I allowed to say the date? Yes, of course. Right, so we're the 8th of April right now. Of course, yeah. We're, we're right in the middle of um, COVID-19. Yeah. So, you know, we might be coming out of this in two, three or four weeks time, but people that are out there now doing marketing campaigns, just stop and think just for one minute. And I feel quite strongly about this. You're sending out 500 letters. Those 500 letters that the postman has got to deliver unnecessarily, putting that post person at risk. Then the people that receive the letters are going to have to touch them, putting them at risk. That's number one. Number two, we can't do viewings right now. We can't do um, check-ins. We can't get trade well we probably no. could but we can't put trades in properties that people are already populated no we can't get materials and people are not in the right mindset right now jack for no. buying or selling deals you know no, people, they're not. Are in, people are in survival mode right now yes so whilst i think that will be a great opportunity coming forwards i don't think right now is the right time so i think everybody right now needs to just sit tight take as much government incentive as they can, wait to see what happens with the market. And then when the government decides that we're going to come off lockdown, get ready to press that button and then start your businesses again. But at the moment, we're simply forced not to do anything really, you know, I'm morally obliged not to do anything at the moment. I absolutely agree with you. Last but not the least question, Rick, is what do you think are the most profitable or what do you think will be the most profitable strategies going forward after this COVID-19 in property think, business? In terms of profit, obviously you make your profit when you buy the deal. Okay. So yeah. that could be anything. Um, I think the most 
future-proof strategy. I'll come on to that in a second. Um, but profitable, and uh, you know, there's so so much you could put into that. Depends on how leveraged you are. It depends on how much finance you've got. It depends on what loan-to-value you've got. It depends on your interest rate. It depends on your purchase price. It depends on so many different things. So you can make as much profit from a single let as you could a HMO. Because if your HMO is highly leveraged, and if you've got partners on board, and your you know your single let isn't so you know, the profit element is probably a separate conversation. What do I think in terms of future-proof of strategy? Well, we're not going anywhere. The country, well, the whole world is still here. And, you know, there's a bit of a cliche. We don't build any land. We can't build land. It is. Um, People are always going to need somewhere to live. The government have this 300,000 target of, a ha- you know, to build houses every year. They're not going to do that, especially after this now. They're not no. going to be able to do that. So in my personal point of view, the private rental sector is going to come out of this really strong. Um, there are going to be less people that can afford to buy their first houses now because they're going to take a pay cut or they're going to be on the furlough scheme for how long that lasts for or they're going to be um, on a low paid job because the, there won't be as many jobs out there as yeah. there has been over the last 10 years. So yeah. the private rental sector will remain strong. Um, HMOs specifically are going to be probably one of, if not the best strategy to continue with because it's affordable housing, it's good quality stock if you do it well. And um, you know, rather than these people that can't afford to, to buy or to rent their own flat, then HMOs are going to be a very attractive proposition. Now, that's not going away. Will we see any more legislation? Yes, of course, we always will. I think on suites, are going to be the favoured HMOs of choice. Now, you know, the whole argument with council tax and single banding is is totally separate. That's for another conversation. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. En-suite rooms and HMOs will be premium uh, because people don't want to share. Obviously, people want to social distance. So, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, single lets definitely are always going to be a good bread and butter, solid investment strategy, but they won't make you as much cash. But if you're not looking for cash, then that's fine. But HMOs in terms of cash flow. But, you know, um, I've, I've, I've always maintained that HMOs will go nowhere, provided you do it well. And I think they're certainly going to be here for an awful lot longer. That sounds awesome. Rick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And would you like to share a, a line of wisdom before we, you leave everyone here? I think there's lots of little things that I've sort of adopted over my lifetime, uh, my, my lifetime in business. But I think the one thing is, is just keep going um, and just trust yourself. Keep going and trust yourself because it's really easy to stop. When things get hard, we go back into that comfort zone. But if you continue to push and keep going, you will eventually get there. Because if there are 100 people in that race and everybody else gets to the point where they want to stop but you carry on then you're going to win that race so my advice is just to keep going and trust yourself that's great absolute pleasure again having you on uh, on the show rick and you you take care thank you very much indeed it's been a pleasure pleasure. thank you cheers cheers